Welcome to The Academic Citizen, a podcast about critical issues in higher education. The podcast is sponsored by ASAWU, the Academic Staff Association of Wits University, based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Our podcast aims to explore, debate, and understand a wide variety of issues about university life relevant to staff and students. We look at issues in South Africa, Africa, and beyond. In each episode, we speak to a guest who has special insight or expertise in a particular subject, and we also bring in student voices linked to that theme. My name is Mahita Ikani, and I'm your host. My name is Tula Nisi. I'm studying Bachelor of Arts, first year. Uh, psychology, yeah. It actually shows that people do care about people like us because I'm gay. Yeah, so when someone comes and does a survey or asks questions about people like us, it actually makes me happy because I get to know that at least we're not alone. There are people who actually care about us, so it makes me happy. To a certain extent, I'd say, okay, fine, yes, I am comfortable, but... For the mere fact that most of us let society dictate how we should live our lives, I don't think, as much as they do care, there are rules that if you, for example, violate a gay person, chances are they'll expel, expel you from campus and all that. But I think just because based on how people look at us gay people, the way that they teach, yeah, let me, let me go into that direction, the way that they teach, it's, it's okay. They want people to accept us for who we are, but I feel like, they're going about the whole thing in the wrong way it's okay to try and make people understand gay people but if you're gonna during a lecture and then show them slides or yeah pictures of gay people kissing each other and then everyone's like ew it's don't do that it's a person who's straight it's they that's where they go wrong they give us a person who's straight to address gay issues and it's not supposed to be like that we are we as gay peoples are, are people rather are the ones who are supposed to teach um straight people about us. I'm not saying yeah, but yeah, we need to teach them, make them accept us for who we are because we're not going to change. In today's episode, we explore gender and sexuality and the right to equality and recognition of LGBTIQA staff and students on university campuses. Our guest is Dr. Mary Hames, who is director of the Gender Equity Unit at the University of the Western Cape. Mary has a PhD in Gender and Women's Studies and has worked at UWC for many years. She writes on sexual identity and questions of citizenship in the university space. Welcome to Dr. Mary Hames, who is our guest today to discuss questions of gender and sexuality and LGBTQIA rights on university campuses. Hello, hello, Mary, and welcome. Good morning, Marita. So perhaps we can start off with what would you argue are the most important and pressing issues on university campuses today with regards to gender rights and sexuality rights? Well, I argue, and I think I've, I've also discussed it in my dissertation, is about how do we actually work towards inclusivity of minorities on our campuses? Because I believe that our universities are still very hostile towards minority rights. But it's not only about the rights discourse. It is how do we change the climate 
How do we change our own living and teaching practices to make it more inclusive, to make people more comfortable, to really, because I think most of these universities are actually advertising themselves as a home away from home. So there's a paradox in, in that statement. As a feminist, I know that many homes are very dysfunctional. <laughs> so, so do you exchange actually one dysfunctional home for another or if the home is really welcoming and inclusive, how would we actually make our universities, our classrooms, our living spaces, our working spaces, so conducive that people feel that they belong? So it's about the home, sense of home, a sense of belonging, a sense of wanting to be there. So what would you say are some of the challenges that are experienced by students in particular who arguably are more vulnerable than staff members in terms of gender and sexuality that makes them not feel at home, that makes them not feel safe in university spaces and university campuses? I think both staff members and students are part of the minorities are actually not feeling Safe, because how safe is it, for instance, a lecturer or administrator to say, I'm lesbian, I am comfortable with who I am, when the whole structure in your university is actually, like I said, and I refer back to that kind of hostility, because we work in a patriarchal, heteronormative environment. So, so many of our staff don't feel free to come out. So... How do you become an example for a student for a kind of sexual agenda freedom? So students, of course, has even got less power. But I think for a LGBTQ staff member, there's also a great risk to be long. So there's additional pressure you feel from the university for staff members as well as students to stay closeted, to hide their sexualities and to to not be able to come out and feel comfortable and safe within that environment. Yeah, that that is exactly what it is. I I think we are very much on a false impression that we think that staff have more privileges as an LGBTQ person than a student. I see when I have conversations with people, when I interview students, when I work with students at our university, for instance, I have more students who feel comfortable with who they are than staff members coming out and say who they are. So in your experiences in working in the gender equity unit at UWC, what are some of the kinds of problems and challenges that you've seen students and staff come to you with? Over the years, we're actually celebrating the 10th anniversary of our LGBTQ program this year. I think in, in May, it was our 10th anniversary. So 10 years ago, because I've had various complaints from staff who didn't feel that they belong, from students who would come to the unit and say, we don't belong, we feel threatened, because as you know, universities are just microcosms of broader society. So there was also that kind of fear that is what is happening outside is happening on our campuses. So students feel threatened, Staff felt silenced, and I decided then with a couple of my colleagues to have a week-long awareness raising week where we marched on campus, where during lunchtime we had interfaith services. 
So we have various people that we've invited from outside and inside the university to have seminars and talks on campus. And it actually was a whole a week-long activity because I didn't know who really was lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered or queer. And it was very, very well attended. I was so surprised when I stood in one of the biggest lecture halls at the first day of the Awareness Raising Week. And I looked up and I saw literally hundreds of students and staff sitting. So a couple of days after the awareness event, two students came to me and said, can they not help me start a program? Because that is the kind of challenge that I, I put to them. And we then started and they named the program Loud Enough. And every year students would join voluntarily the Loud Enough program. And, and, and since a couple of years ago, we now have two week-long awareness raising weeks, one in September and one in May. But I also found that there are very few staff members that's actually been joining the program over the last few years, because I don't know whether they're too concentrating on their careers, whether they feel that they, because of the class situation, that they can live their lives comfortably outside the university, where the where students are really, really still struggling inside the university, finding themselves, wanting to know who they are, exploring, and, and things like that. So there's been a huge amount of work that your unit and students and colleagues have done together to raise awareness about quite simply the presence mm. of LGBTQI individuals on campus. Yeah. And why why do you believe that that visibility is so important? Like I say, because structurally, our universities are still heteronormative. And the patriarchal, or the patriarchs, they still have the say in making the rules, in actually prescribing whether it is policy-wise or by the attitudes, how people should live, behave, and what they think is normal. And I mean, we, we get it from when students come and complain and say, oh, we have not been treated well at the health services mm. for students. But the amazing thing, or I should not, it's not amazing, it's because they become so conscious of their rights that they would go, they would come and tell us, but then we say, go and challenge that department. Go and challenge that staff member on, on that kind of behavior. And then they would go back and, and they would do that. And slowly, slowly, we have started to change the, the climate at the university. It's not yet 100%. So there's a lot of work to that. And, and as you see, students are transient. Staff are more permanent fixtures of, of the institution. But every year we get students and for them to come to the city to know that there's churches, there's bars, there's clubs, there's places they could go, there's organizations dealing particularly. And they come from small towns or even big towns where there's not those kind of facilities. You know, so for them it is actually to, to introduce them to all of this and say a different life is possible. Mm. A life in which you're fully accepted for who you are and it doesn't matter who you love or how you identify yeah. in terms of your gender, your sexuality, 
all the kinds of people that you want to date. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mary, you've used the words heteronormative and patriarchy a couple of times. And some of our listeners might find these terms a little confusing or perhaps new. I wonder if you wouldn't mind just kind of spelling out a little bit what you mean by those terms. So those who are not yet fully or fay with the kind of the lingo that they can kind of get on board and, and understand what we're talking about when we say things like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that heteronormative is that heterosexuality is normal. That the kind of binaries that we look at. So for instance, for many people it is the only relationship that can exist is between a man and a woman. That is what basically, in very simple terms, heteronormative means. So everything, I mean, our whole universities, our sports codes, the way our ablution facilities, etc., it's very strictly according those gender lines. This is for men. Rugby is for men. Soccer is for men. They will get the most money. They will get the most publicity. So if women play these sports, and they do, and we also have these sports codes for women, there's always an imbalance. But there is not even on our campus. Can you see this for men, this for women? But there is not for those people who say, I'm neither this nor that. I am fluid. So, so our struggle is, is to say that homosexuality is normal, not only heterosexuality that all sexualities should be normal because we don't come in particular packages exactly. or, or boxes. Now, now, patriarchy is that system that's actually governing everything. My question has been, and that is what my research is, what is making us university citizens? Mm. How do we get to know that I am a citizen of this university? And the patriarchy is usually a masculine system. That's it, because if we look at how citizenship, for instance, has been constructed over decades, over centuries, it was men that were able-bodied, that were in charge, that they were regarded, they made the laws of the country, they made the decisions. So women, on the other hand, and I'm taking that other binary, struggled for centuries to become citizens. They usually take, for instance, the Greek system as the system of democracy and citizens. But, but slaves and women and children could never become citizens. <laughs> so even with our democracy in South Africa, one of the first things that the LGTB community did was actually ask the different political parties, how do my rights as an LGTB person, become recognized. Why is it that certain people automatically have the right to full citizenship? The laws have been designed for them particularly, etc. And And why is it that LGTB people's their sexuality, their gender rights, their and whatever, they couldn't inherit all those things. So, so Patriarchy was then responsible for actually keeping all those differentiation in, in, in citizenship intact. And like I said, it's so systemic that sometimes people 
even collude into the, the, the patriarchy. That is basically masculine and heteronormative. Mm. So thinking about your idea of citizenship and what it takes to be a fully-fledged citizen of a university, what did you find in your research about how that sense of citizenship can and should be extended to include all genders and all sexualities? What I actually found is, is that there is no formal way where people are actually gaining their citizenship. There's a very big, big informal structure, and it's from the moment you actually apply to become a student of the university, that certain things kick in, how the forms are being constructed, once you've been accepted, how, and the reasons why you were accepted, because as we know, thousands of students will never get access to this prestigious ivory towers that we have. So it is the forms that has been designed, the way, for instance, if you say, oh, applications can only be done online and there is no hard copy forms that you can fill in, you already exclude certain people. If you say that you should have a certain aggregate in matric to be allowed to come to the university to study for certain careers or professions, you already exclude even before students can apply or prospective students. And then during the orientation, there are certain people that will take you around, that will tell you how the university system is operating. So even there, the kind of informal teaching of how to become a university citizen. Of course, your protocols, your code of conduct, your university rules, etc., etc. And the same for staff members. From the moment you apply, you've been called in for an interview, you get the position, now you're being inducted as a staff member. Those are all ways of actually showing you how to be a particular university citizen. And each job has its own rules. And I don't know whether it makes sense to you. Mm. So now somebody invites you to the cafeteria for a lunch to share with you, look, this is how this department works. So there's nothing formal in that. Right. But it's actually implicitly telling you if you behave X, Y, and Z, you will get promotions, you will be sent on conferences, you will. So, so all those kinds of things. And if people do not, agree with your gender or sexual orientation, <laughs> forget it. So did you find in your research that this kind of normative idea of how one belongs in a university is, is very exclusive of alternative or non-normative sexualities and genders? Yeah, and abilities and disabilities, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and it, despite the fact that we have a legal framework that say a universities do not actually conform to the legal framework. Because everything, if you look at most universities, most recently in the students' protests, there was this whole thing of who's being excluded. It's about sexual violence. It's talking about rape cultures, etc., etc., etc. So what it does say is 
what is wrong with our policies? What is wrong with our approaches? Why is it that we cannot contain small universities settings? I mean, we've got a few thousand students, 20,000, 25,000 students on our campuses. But what is wrong that the violence and the rape still occur on our campuses? What is wrong with how we teach that kind of inclusive citizenship? Why is it that in, in many instances, even the violence has been portrayed as, as within a binary context, right? And it was not about the other kinds of inclusiveness, what kind of systemic violence is happening to LGBTQ people. No, I think you make a, a really strong argument. So in, in your opinion, and from your many, many years of experience working on these issues, how do you feel university management, not just at UWC, but in general, should be proactively trying to solve some of these problems? You know, I, I think a number of years ago, universities were, and I think it is, is, is what most people are saying, follow the money. When gender issues and women's issues were primary because there was money for that, you know, all of a sudden the gender units were established on various campuses in, in whatever form because that was important. Certain policies were designed. And most recently, say for the last 10 years, the universities have become more and more obedient to the new liberal mark and, and things that really concerns about how to be human has been left out. Money is for buildings, money is for laboratories, but money is not actually looking at what I would call soft human things about relationships, about sexualities, about gender issues. So the money has been shifted and many uh, universities, gender institutes and units have been either assimilated into other departments or some have closed down. Because it's all of a sudden, gender is over, sexuality is over. What are you talking about? There are laws governing these things. But even though we have this constitutional right to equality, we see every day the inequalities being played out. So it's clearly a problem that the resources are no longer available for this kind of work. Yeah, and that, that's the, the big, big problem. So it is now, how do we get it back? And I think the students' protests, there was, there was a lot of things in that. It was not only about uh, no fees. I think they've started to make us or make the university authorities rethink what its role is in society. And maybe they still don't get it. <laughs> That's what I feel. And I use the words, we have to be ever vigilant so that things do not slip through the cracks. And I think for as long as I've been at this as a gender equity unit, I have been, you know, every year it's a struggle to say that this is important work that we do. You can teach in, in official programs where students get diplomas or degrees, certain things, but you cannot teach somebody how to be lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. It is how they feel. You know, who they are 
You can't give somebody a degree because she's a lesbian. <laughs> so, yeah, so we deal with people and we help them getting through the through their own journeys. So what would a transformed institution look like to you in, in an ideal world if we succeed in all of our, our struggles and our battles for equality and fairness? What would a, a fully gender and sexuality inclusive university look and feel like? Yeah. <laughs> I think a transformed or a different university would have no harassment, have no violence, have no discrimination. It is just you. You are everything. You are enough for everybody. I think for then I, that is, is what I'm, I'm teaching. I'm saying to the students and stuff, I am enough. You know, don't try and change me and conform me to something. And it is not asking for acceptance is that every one of us is an important human being and, and should be seen like that. I think you've expressed that so beautifully that each person has the right to just be accepted for precisely who they are without any expectations placed upon them to conform in any way to some kind of predetermined idea about what a man or a woman is or what, what it matters who you love and what kind of relationship you want to have. From your perspective at UWC, what is the current climate amongst the student population about the many issues and protests that have been happening over the past year, including many of them linked to questions of gender, sexuality and, and rights to equality? What's your reading of the environment at the moment? What's going on and how students are feeling and what they may be taking up next? I'm not in the heads to know what they would <laughs> take up next. But what I can say is, that each university, where they are located geographically and otherwise, and metaphorically, has different issues. There's the broader issues, but there's also the different issues. And I think at UWC, its geographical location is on the periphery of this urban. It is in the middle of two historically white universities. One is historically Afrikaans, and the other historically English. And uh, the focus have been so much on the other two universities. The, 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 the issues of UWC as, like the LGBTQ issues, also been marginalized exactly because of its geographical position. And, and, and I also think it is to do with class and perceptions. The media then focused on the two historically white universities. And because of the isolation geographically of, of UWC, and yet our struggles here, the student struggles, have been also around issues of race, issues of class, issues of gender, issues of sexuality, but, but I think there's is a different kind of approach to that. I also run another program which I call Educational Drama that's also 10 years old, where we actually, on a Saturday morning, we teach Black in that program. It is, this is about esteem, it's about being, it's about consciousness, it's about being political. 
and many of the LGTB students have been part of the broader student protest without having to make an issue around that at this university. Because, like I said, this uh, our loud enough program is 10 years old. Our educational drama program is 10 years old this year. And, and so this year we had a performance with that we worked on, what we called hashtag what's left out. Was it radical black feminism? Was it issues of, 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 of sexuality? Was it issues of gender? Was it, well, students not politicized enough? And, and all those kinds of things, other kinds of violence than the violence that the authorities seen. Like the authorities would have seen a building has been burnt, but the, they, they would not see that the, the securities that were employed on campus for that particular period were harassing students, and in particular women students. So those kinds of things were left out, you know, didn't receive enough focus. So I, I think that each university should be looked at differently, collectively as, as, as universities in this country, but also differently where they are positioned, what privileges each or not privileges each university have. Because nothing has really been said about historically black universities. And here I also want to emphasize the historical black universities, students were the mainly black people on the campuses, not the teaching staff. So, so, so our discourses there has also got a lot of a lot of gaps. And I think it's also really important that there is more media attention on the student perspective, right, rather than the institutional perspective on the student struggle at UWC. So thank you so much for sharing those. Yeah. You know, what, what, what's so surprising to me it is why institutions had access to the mainstream media and they usually projected that kind of stories. The students use social media to say, this is actually what's happening. This is how we ran around. Here's a video clip, etc. And then I think we have juxtaposed the official institutional version with the social media version. It was actually action on the ground. Absolutely agree with you on that point. On the question of the rights and struggles of LGBTQI students, what advice would you give any student out there who's listening who might be battling with some form of discrimination or inequality or lack of support, what advice would you give them in moving forward with their lives and overcoming those difficulties? I would say there are so many, many organizations. I mean, and on our campus, we have the Gender Equity Unit. We've got a large enough program. But we also find that every year students say we didn't know. And yet we do a lot of awareness raising because I also think that people are so used to not to be recognized or they so much want to assimilate. They don't want to stand out or stand up. So they would rather have a very low profile. So ever so often through the years, we have done surveys where we actually would go out and send this, the student peers and say, you know 
where people gather and, and talk with them, invite them over, have social. So for me, it is for students to look up, to ask questions. And if you feel you do not fit in, do not try to assimilate. Because I think many students come to university and say, we just want to have our degree and get out of here so that we can live. So that three, four years while they are here, they they don't want to join anything. But they don't know that if you don't haven't learned how to stand up for yourself and to become visible, that in the place of work you can also be become very miserable because you have to hide all the time who you really are. I love that message. Don't assimilate, stand up and be visible. I think that's a very empowering message. And what advice would you give to straight people out there who don't experience the same kinds of challenges, but who want to support and help the cause in some way and be allies? How would you advise them to to provide the necessary support? I can only say what we do at this unit. And we have about six programs that we deal with. And we, although we say that each of these programs has some kind of separateness in the particular needs that they address, when we say that we all work together, so your support of straight could be seen at the LGTB event or health planning and, and actually get straight students in to say we are supportive because I don't think anybody wants to live around being hateful or disrespectful or discriminatory towards another person. Because it's so easy that you, even if you are a straight person, that something else that you have can be discriminated against. But it's a very, very, very difficult task. Because what I've found out over the years is that religion or religious beliefs or all those dogmas that Students come with to university are deeply, deeply entrenched. So it's, it's for me, it is easier than to start to work with the individuals and get access to some of these religious uh, organizations and then work within them through certain people. But well, like I said, it is a continuous, continuous struggle. It's been really valuable to hear about the current initiatives and strategies to work towards equality and inclusivity in terms of gender and sexuality, which are taking place at UWC at the moment. We send our solidarity and support to all staff and students there who are currently working on these issues. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also enjoy listening to episode 9, which also looks at questions of gender equity with a perspective from Vitz. and I'm studying arts and education. Uh, I think that the topic is not brought brought up very very often in the kind of community that a university is. Uh, so that makes it it makes it comfortable to be not seen. But to change how that's seen, you have to talk about it. So for me as a lesbian, it is very comfortable to just walk by without anyone knowing what I what I am or what I but at the same time to to get 
new possibilities or to have the same possibilities as everyone else, it needs to be talked about. Uh, I just decided to come here because it's a Johannesburg has a very special history, and uh, the arts and culture and it's a very interesting place. It's very different from where I come from, and you can find many different cultures and memories in one place. Just walking out just right out of here. I can see so many memories from so many times and so many people. I, I'm from a very... I'm from an accepting country, uh, where, but in a place that is... everything is kind of hidden, so you don't really you don't really mention things. It's it's a very low roof, if you can say like like that. There's many things that's not accepted to talk about, but it's seen as an accepting country. So, um, yeah, that's uh, complicated. <laughs> talk about it, but don't talk about it as it's an as a thing outside of uh, the ordinary. Just don't. Uh, exclude the possibility that people have different sexualities or they, they feel like as long as you don't exclude the possibility it, it gets more accepting. The Academic Citizen is a podcast sponsored by ASAWU, the Academic Staff Association of Wits University. ASAWU is the union representing the interests of academic staff at WITS. For more information, visit www.asawu.org.za. The Academic Citizen aims to be a platform for a diversity of views and opinions. We welcome your feedback, comments and suggestions for future guests and shows. Email us at theacademiccitizen at gmail.com or leave a comment at www.theacademiccitizen.org. Today's show was presented by Mehita Ikani. Research, scheduling, editing and production was done by Balungi Lembenyane. Thanks to Mary Hames, Tulahanyo and Liren for their time. Jürgen Mikkel created our jingles.